Hi, this is Danny Bolt, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. To paraphrase Lionel Richie, people dancing in the street, see the rhythm in his feet, life is good, wild and sweet, let the moonies play on. Yes, two goals from our latest Brazilian hero on Saturday brought the Whites a first win of 2024, and with it came rainbows over Craven Cottage. I'm joined by Tristan Potteritschic and Don Love, and over the next hour we'll be discussing that 3-1 victory against Bournemouth, Fulham at AFCON, our upcoming clash with Aston Villa, and just how much time will João Polina be spending in a blue card simbin. I'm Sam Diamond, and this is Fulham Focus. Welcome everyone, here we go. I'm delighted to say that for this episode we have our Serbian numbers boffing with us, Tristan Podoricic. Tristan, how are you? Yeah, good. I always like it when when you're on, Sam, because I think you're the only one of the the focus guys who can actually pronounce my name correctly, so uh, it's a bonus point to start with there. I thought you were going to say because I'm the only one who who gets your 1993-4 references. Okay, based on that, Tristan's going to hate me then because I'm always going to pronounce his name wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we can get uh, a few Gary Brazil uh, references in today, as as per normal when we're on. Sam would be disappointed if we didn't. Uh, and that voice from across the pond, out of the producer's chair and into the hot seat, it's Don Love. How was your Super Bowl Sunday, Don? So I'm not a big. Uh, I know this is bad as an American, but I'm just I'm not a big American football fan. Uh, I had no dog in the fight. Didn't care. What I did to make it a little more interesting to keep people involved that came over to watch with us, a bunch of friends, is uh, I made a prediction sheet. Everybody put a dollar in for that. And then I made a bingo sheet that we followed along. Uh, you know, if different things happened, you you would cross that off in, on your bingo sheet. Uh, so, you know, we played that. I lost both games, uh, had different friends walk away with some money. And everybody was happy. Was Taylor Swift on the bingo sheet? Uh, she was. So the, the prediction question was, would she join Usher at halftime was one. And the other prediction was how many times would they show Taylor Swift during the Super Bowl? Would it be more than a dozen times? And the answer was yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> they showed her like every freaking two minutes. Anyway, from North American nonsense to a South American sensation, let's dive straight into Saturday's 3-1 home win over Bournemouth. And the unlikely star that was Rodrigo Muniz. Uh, actually, I think there is something of uh, Patrick Mahomes about Rodrigo Muniz, but maybe we'll save that for the for the Kansas City Chiefs podcast. Uh, Tristan, the statistics suggest that we were dominated by Andoni Ariola's team. 25 shots to 7, 14 corners to 1, 58 touches inside the opposition area to our 19. Was that the case or were the cherries picked apart? Your initial thoughts on that performance and result? Yeah, I uh, no, I think it was a little bit of that. Stats can be a bit misleading. I I think, um, you know, twenty twenty four shots. I can't remember lots of things Leno had to do really. Um, a lot of lo- shots from long range, and 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 to be fair, a, you know, a few blocks where bodies went on the line as well. Um, the the one thing I would say is that I thought. Um, second half, we we did sink into our shell again a little bit, and I think that the, there was there was 
a lot of pressure uh, throughout the half. And we looked really, really dodgy from set pieces. And I, 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 every time they got a corner, they worried me. I, 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 you could see it ending up in the back of the net. So I don't think it was... It, it's a great result. I actually really enjoyed the game. I thought it was quite refreshing to have two teams who, who both need to pick up you know, a few more points and would have been targeting that game. And I thought it was quite nice to have two teams of, of that type actually both really having a go. And, and it was quite an open game. Probably, probably a bit too open for both managers, but I, I, I thought you know it, we, that was actually a bit of a breath of fresh air. Um, but we, we we were very good for first half, and I think you know outside of the goals, if you were thinking of what were the best chances in the game, you look at Williams, where where, where obviously their their keeper made a really good save not long after the opener, and and I think. You know, they're, they're, it, it felt to me as though yes, they had more shots, but we had the better chances, and I, th- I think that was ultimately reflected in the score. Albeit, I think if it have ended up three-two, no one could have really complained. What did you make of the game, Don? Do you feel we were deserved winners, or were we hanging on for dear life at the end? I kind of felt like we were hanging on, you know, because they had a a shitload of corners, if I recall, some ungodly amount of corners we gave away. And that's how they scored their their first goal, that their only goal, and that worried me. You know that okay, here we go again. We're they're going to get all these opportunities. They're going to get another goal, or you know, worse, uh, that they equalize and we end up walking away with only a point. Um, which you know, kind of brings us back to Burnley, the game before. They're, they're so similar. I mean, so similar. It wasn't funny um, at all, and, and it goes to speak about yeah, the tactics were maybe slightly different by Marco in, in uh, the Bournemouth game in that second half. Uh, but they weren't completely different, you know. I mean, I don't, I didn't think he did anything extraordinary or completely different from what he did at, at Burnley. It just didn't work out at Burnley like it did at Bournemouth. So I, I kind of think we rode our luck a little bit. But in the end, it's the result that counts, and it was a good result. I, I, I think, I think there's a there's a common theme though with this 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 season where we are getting a lot of pressure on us late, and quite often we're conceding, and we, we we've seen it. I hate to say it, I think it's again it comes back to he who shall not be named that we sold in the summer. I think you know it it makes a massive difference when you've got a big lump of a player who's really really clever, knows how to win cheap free kicks, knows how to break the play up and holds the ball up we don't have that so when you get this sort of like Burnley did in the last 20 minutes and then you know Bournemouth for pretty much the whole of the second half where they're going wave after wave after wave and you need to relieve that pressure I I think you know Mitrovic was was really really important to that and the number of games we won last season where we were under the cosh, but he was there to do that. You, you know, you look at the likes of Leicester away as a, as a really good example where, you know, we nicked that 1-0. They were the better side for, for most of the game, but we had someone being able to do that. And I, I just think we're really missing that. And that's we're, we're, we're seeing this second half or late second half pressure that's coming at us from teams. And we don't have anyone that, that that's able to do that in the way that he was. And until we do, I think we're going to see more and more of it. No, okay, so that that brings you're you're absolutely right. You know, I don't want to talk about Metro. We always seem to somehow get back on a, the player that he he who should not be named. I think this goes back to another point that Sam is going to bring up, though, and that has to do with you know 
the tactics and the available subs, you know, to change the game. You know, what what is available in the arsenal of things that players, you know, and whatnot that Marco can do to change the game. And I just don't think he's got a lot of options, you know, not a lot of great options. I mean, if you look at our bench, the last two games, we had two or three, at least two academy players on the bench, you know, as as options for both defense and and for attack. I know, is it Josh, Joshua, Josh King, King? Joshua King. He's on there quite a bit lately. And my favorite Canadian, whose last name I can never spell or pronounce correctly. I think he's 17 or 18 now. Uh, who played in the opening uh, season warmups and everything? He's on the bench the last couple of games too. So, if you've got academy players, which oh my god, I love it. Uh, I, I want to see academy players coming through, getting a, a chance and a break and the experience. So good for them sitting on the bench. But man, it's really important right now. I kind of think every point we get, you know, just to make sure that we stay up and that we're we're moving forward. Those are your options. I mean, that said, if you, I think if you look through the, the Premier League team sheets for this weekend, I, I suspect that most teams would have one or two academy players on the bench just with the nine subs thing. I think maybe what worries me is the fact that our, our squad, what we have of it, is so old compared to everyone else's. It's, you know, if you've got players like William having to play 70 minutes maybe twice a week, or it's, uh, it's about to take a toll in the end. Um, and as Tristan points out, just not having that option to relieve the pressure with someone who can sort of hold the ball up or win free kicks and sort of just take that sting out of the game. It's the it's the profile of the players that bothers me because I think when you do when you do make a change, you're often changing like for like. You're not going, right, we're gonna change our central midfield from, you know, someone who's a bit of a playmaker like Kearney to someone who's got an injection of pace and can, you know, dribble at speed. And, and we're light. I mean, we, we, you know, Silver's not saying it because he just wants to have a moan and he's been saying it for two years now. We, we're light in, in the squad. So we're missing Iwobi, you know, because he would offer a change. Yeah. I mean, but other than that, we uh, don't really uh, have somebody that offers a change, right? No. And Af- AFCON's not helped in that regard. And, and we've had, and have got, you know, injuries, and we've had that consistently. Plus, you know, it was pointed out to me the other day, interestingly, since mid, um, so, sorry, early December, in the last, I think, nine weeks, we've only had two weeks where we haven't had at least two games in that time. So, you know, when you've got a small squad, you've got players going off to for, for, for virtually a month of it to Africa, and you've got injuries... It, it, it's it, it's not great to be playing two games a week for you know a ten week period. Okay, so we mentioned we mentioned Mitrovic. I don't mind saying his name, uh, even though it still hurts. But let's talk strikers. And in Rodrigo Muniz, have we have we finally found a thirty five goal a season Premier League striker? Uh, obviously, followed his first Premier League goal at Burnley with two against Bournemouth and managed to bag them both without bursting into tears this time. So. How good? How good was he on Saturday? And how good can he be for fun? Real, real, real quick, because I'm going to bring Tristan right back into this uh, with he who shall not be named. He Nunes did really well. I am so happy he scored those two goals. He looked very good in his play. He he was uh, everywhere. It seemed like the right places and all that. But let's not go over the top here. There were people on Twitter and everything else saying. 
oh my God, he's he's starting to play like Metro. He's going to be the next Metro. You know, this is just the beginning. You know, that that performance was reminiscent of a Metro performance. Tristan, do you really think it was all of that, or it was a good performance? No, I don't. I don't think it was that. No, not not at all. And I think, yeah, he, he played well. He had a good game, and I think what he has proved is that he's an option and, you know, not a complete we don't have anyone on the pitch kind of issue, which 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 I think we were potentially a little bit worried about. The one thing I would say is I remember people saying, you know, Kamara was, uh, oh, Kamara, Kamara's going to, you know, he's, he's raw, but he's going to become a good player after that, you know, when he played well against Which, which Kamara? One. Oh, him. But yeah. AK forty seven, and you know, and and no, he so he played well against QPR in that game, scored two goals, but he was still Abubakar Kamara afterwards, and 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 I think we're probably going to see that with Mooney's, but I would just hope that what he, what he can do in the in 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 the team and 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 as part of the squad is a little bit more, but he's not. I mean, we're we're still going to be struggling if he's considered anywhere near our first choice strike striker for a, a, an elongated period of time, I think. But, you know, even if uh, for a backup striker going forward, even Raul is not, you know, the answer I in my mind. I mean, he's done well these last couple of games before he got injured, but I don't think he's the backup answer long-term. Again, another well, player. And- yeah, and that and that comes back to Sam's earlier point about the you know he's he's thirty three this year, Jimenez. So, you know, uh, certainly not long term. I mean, I wouldn't really want to start next season with those two as our two striking options, but definitely not beyond that season. You, you you'd want a first choice one. I I just I I think this is this is where the the sale felt like reasonable value on the face of it you know that we we got good money for it for 50 million but you then look at what you can get on the market for 50 million and we had Balogun you know being quoted at that price last summer when he's got absolutely no track record you've got them asking that for or close to that for Brozier and 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 that's the bit that worries me is I think anyone that is going to be good enough for for what we need is 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 going to take pretty much all of that Mitrovic money, if not more. Well, continuing on the theme of strikers, and, and you've brought him up now as well. Um, what do we think this means for the Armando Breuer loan deal? Because the club, I'm, I'm sure, were patting themselves on the back for a deal well done, and the fact that the more he played, the less we were going to have to pay. But you have to assume now that Rodrigo Muniz will, I mean, certainly start the next game. Um, so is this loan deal about to get a whole lot more expensive for the club? I would let Muniz start again just because I think he deserves it after scoring those two goals. With that said, we've got to get, I mean, what's his name in there so that we're not paying the $4 million and all that. So at some point, he's got to start a game, right? And in order to maintain that contract or, you know, avoid the $4 million penalty. I, I bet it depends, doesn't it? Because I think if we suddenly start looking as though we're going to finish tenth instead of twelfth, that's four million in prize money. And you know, you if 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 Moon is is contributing to that more than I, Silver's going to see these guys in training 
right? And I think he he's, you know, if 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 he thinks Breuer's the the, the better option, he'll pay him. I I don't think we would have entered a deal that if we ended up having to pay the full amount, it was going to cause us financial issues. I I can't see the club risking that personally. I'm maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I I would have thought they would have taken the financially the 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 yardstick of what's the most we can pay for this guy, what's the most we can afford, and if that figures four million, then we'll financially accept that we might have to pay that four million, and anything less is 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 great, right? But I yeah I I wouldn't be too concerned about that if if he's the best option and he. he we think we, he should play the minutes, great. But if Mooney's is, then it should be Mooney's as far as I'm concerned, especially seeing as this guy's not going to be here next year. That that we know of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I should expect that, that value will lessen over time. Uh, well, okay, so we've spoken about Rodrigo Mooney's performance. Uh, what about another Brazilian then in Willian? Because... I thought he was absolutely wonderful. Um, at 35 years of age, how long can we enjoy this calibre of performances from him? You know, there's no telling. Uh, we've talked about this before with people like him, Tim Ream, and even Tom's in there right now. Uh, with their age, uh, they're, they're still looking really good and, and they're still providing necessary, uh, you know, play in, in important games. So, who knows how long these guys could keep going, you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, keep offering them a one year contract, you know, see, see what happens. Now, with that said, we've said this a dozen times or more, obviously we've got to have other youthful players come in and bring the age of the average age of the squad down. So uh, for the remainder of the season, William is one of those guys that, he is just quality, absolute quality in how he plays. Uh, he, he is sadly, at this moment in time, really hard to replace in the starting 11 without like not seriously missing him. When he's not on that field, especially in the starting 11, I just think we're a different team and we just don't do as well w- without him. So... I I'd, I'd see I'd I'd agree with to some extent, but I'd put him in a different category personally. To and, and I think Kearney's been magnificent this season, by the way. But I'd put him in a different category to Kearney and Ream. Well, that was actually going to be my next question. Where does he stand among the most talented players we've ever had? I I, I mean, it was it was really interesting because we 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 came home. My my boy was with me. Obviously, we got both got the season tickets, and we we got home. And first thing, because he's eight and obsessed and writing lists about Fulham constantly and all the rest of it. He wanted to watch the highlights and so we stuck them on and, and, and Jill, my wife, was watching them with us and and, and her, what she said encapsulated it and she said, I don't, I, I don't even know anything about football but even I can tell how much better than anyone else on the pitch he is. Like, and, 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 and she's right. I mean, he is... That good, and and so I well, when I say I'd put him in a different category to Ream and Kearney, I'd agree with you. I'd keep topping them up with year long contract. I'd give William a three year contract now because it's 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 the sort of thing where we've got we've basically got pretty much a Champions League level player, and I I, I don't see 
in anything I you know I, I I go to the vast majority of games and I don't see anything from watching him week in week out that suggests he's really tapering off because of age. He he's not losing pace. He's 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 awareness. He's Ability. I mean that just the vision to pick that ball out for Muniz's second goal. I mean it was just ridiculous because he that there was a very narrow window of space that he could arc that ball into to get it over the defender, but drop it, you know, in time enough for Muniz to get on the end of it. And his ability to see those things is is just something that that, that very few players have. So yeah, I, I mean I'm a I'm a huge fan. I think he's he's possibly our most important player and and I wouldn't be fucking around you know potentially losing him to Saudi or whoever wants to Not want the money I'd be sitting him down now and going <laughs> let's give him an, let's give him another couple of couple of years well so back to those three players though if you're going to talk I, I here's a, one of the reasons I I kind of grouped them together William Tom and, and Tim Ream not only their age but it's their ability to pick out a pass. All three of those guys pick out passes that end up starting things or creating things and chances and stuff, or you know, end up being the, the the assist that leads to the goal. So again, for their age, what they provide, it's really hard to to replace those three right now. Well, now we're on the subject of Tim Ream. Um, uh, he's back in the team. He's kind of come back into the team as a necessity rather than being down to demand. But he was almost, he was in line for a bit of criticism earlier in the season and lost his place. Have we made the same mistake of writing him off too early? Well, I was going to say, isn't that the theme of Tim Ream is he, he comes in Tim because Fink. it's out, out, out of necessity, you know, and they, they bring him in and everybody's like, oh, God bless, you know, his age or... Oh, he's from Bolton Wanderers. You know, he really doesn't didn't provide anything there. You know, this guy's going to be crap. And he proves everybody wrong time and time and time again. You know, for this game, actually, I lost track of how many times the commentators were heaping praise on Tim for being in the right place, the right time and doing the right thing. So I think, again, he's our consistent rock in the back. And, and we know that, or at least I would think most fans know that. I'd, I'd say, see, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dispute that slightly. Okay, um, that's fine. That's a good thing for hope for for podcast. You know, I'm gonna, I, I, I would, I would go the other way and say that he's probably as that necessity as that backup. He's where he should be in the squad now. I think, I, I, I think you're right in that he's been written off before his time on many occasions, and actually. You know, me and Sam waffling on about decades past. You know, there, there, there was another guy, a left-sided defender, although a left-back, who got that every year we got promoted was, you know, oh, we'll have to replace him. He's not going to be able to make the step up with Rufus. And, you know, he was a he was a, he was was a a Premier League-level player. And I used to that used to do my head in because I used to think, what are you watching? This guy's a great left-back. And and I think with Tim Ream we've we, we've kind of done the or or sections of the fan base have done the same thing where yes he's been written off too early but I would say now I I don't think if everyone's fit and available I don't think he's in my but certainly not my if I'm picking the eleven he wouldn't be one of my two centre backs but I think as someone to come in when one of those two's out 
he's a he's he's exactly what you need because he's not going to come in and not know players. He's he's not going to be panicked. He's he, he's what you need. Now, now, don't get me wrong, and I think Tim even knows this uh, for himself. You know, his days are numbered, and we I think we all are expecting if Tosin would freaking sign a contract, and if he ends up staying here, that Tosin and uh, Bet, yeah, we're going to probably be the pair, pairing going forward. If not, uh, if Tosin leaves, whatever, uh, fucks off to wherever, um, we'll find somebody else to come in in that spot and Bassey will still be, you know, I'm guessing going forward. I mean, just because of his age and everything and he, that he'll be the one, you know, going forward and Tim Ream will be the guy that is a squad player or competing to get some time, you know. So I'm heaping praise on Tim, but I'm not... I'm not delusional. Okay, I'm gonna gonna move this along then. I'll just give you some some quick hits that I've I've made a note of. Um, it was only the second time in Bobby Dekeldover Reed's Premier League career, which is now at 118 games, that he had scored and assisted in the same match. Do you know who the other one was against? Probably against us. No idea. It, of course, it was against us. <laughs> It was in that, that Cardiff 4-2 defeat. Uh, oh, the Cardiff, yes, of course. Oh, that was horrible. That that was one of the shittest games. That Was was that the game when Bettinelli let one that was going about half a mile an hour roll in from 20 yards into his box? I think it was. Right, I think yeah. it was, wasn't it? Um, but he's proven himself, a, you know, a, a man for, the, for a big moment because 10 of his last 11 goals have actually put us into the leading game. So if you need a goal... Bobby's your man. And um, he's our leading goal scorer, just, right? Just, he is, yeah. So, Just a shame he had 15 minutes of absolute fucking carnage <laughs> at Anfield. But <laughs> probably cost us a trip yeah. to Wembley then. <laughs> uh, after 90 days, we saw the return of Adama Traore. Uh, you have to believe me on that one. He's managed a total of 45 minutes across his five games for us since he signed. Can he play a part between now and the end of the season? <laughs> Uh, hey, you know, another stat I saw, did you guys see that, um, what's his name, has done 100 tackles now. Paulinho, first one in Europe. The the most tackles across yeah. all European competitions. Uh, Although if he mistimes one more of those, we're going to lose him for two games. Yeah. He, yeah, he, yeah, he's on the threshold, isn't he? So He's been on that a little he, while. Yeah, now, but he's not, not going to make he's, it through. No, he's not. So, <laughs> oh, no, he won't make it through, but I'm I'm quite... I'm quite impressed that he's managed to get this far. I, to to be honest, I, Villa might be a good one because then I don't really fancy us in the next yeah. two. So I, I, I think we should should be worse. quite tactical with it. That, that that poor guy, he might as well not be wearing a white Fulham shirt. He might as well pull on a shirt with a target on both the front and back because the referee just they look for him now. Oh, there's been there's been some outrageous ones where some of the ones they've been given where, where the exact same incidents happen somewhere else on the yep. picture of another player and the referee hasn't even considered a card and then yeah he's 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 definitely he's a bit like <laughs> do you remember Terry Hurlock <laughs> that was incredible it's Ter- Terry Hurlock Don he played for us in 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 the mid nineties. And there was one season where, because they used to disciplinary be, what points. was the disciplinary points? You got three, you got three for a yellow and five yeah. for a red, didn't you? And it was a totting up back in, like we're talking 30 years ago. 
and he actually ended the season with more disciplinary points than Fulham got. And we didn't have a bad yeah. season. Like we think, had about was it sixty seven? Sixty five. I think he got sixty seven yeah. disciplinary points. It was. And the thing, the crazy, I think he was booked like 20, 20, 21 times or something. And he only played about 25 <laughs> matches. <laughs> and he was, he was he was late 30s at this point as well. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, Polina's a bit like him, but better. <laughs> I thought there was a, quite a good stat uh, doing the rounds before the game on Saturday was uh, how Andreas Pereira's corners had been the most dangerous in the Premier League. It had led to more shots on goal. So I was eagerly awaiting our first corner of the game and it didn't come to the 83rd minute. I saw that. I was kind of surprised by that. That is not a stat that I really would have thought. I I think, see, Pereira, I'm going to hang my neck out on this one. I think of all the players at the club, Pereira gets really like unfair press. I think I I I often see people saying, "Oh, Pereira's gone missing. Pereira's done this. Pereira's so down." And I, I think Pereira's a decent player, and I think he's he, we I, again. I think we play not to the Willian extent and not to the Kenny extent, but I always think we look better with him on the pitch. Pereira, oh, he I, is unlucky. I, he is he is one of those. Set, his set piece delivery is is fine. I, I I mean we've seen some people take shit corners and stuff over the years. Pereira's fine. Well, he he is one of those unlucky players. He he is one of the ones that has hit the woodwork more than anybody else out there uh, on the pitch. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So all in all, it meant a first home win against Bournemouth since a two 0 success in Division Three back in April nineteen ninety two, thirty two years ago. Tristan, who got the goals that day? Well. It is time, isn't it, to roll him out? <laughs> um, well, we got the yeah. It was, it was uh, that mate. That was one of my one of my favourite um, when we were shit games. That was it was a, it was a boiling hot bank holiday Monday. We were on a we were on a surge towards the playoffs, having been in the relegation places at Christmas, and um, we had a double header uh, at bank holiday where we played away at Leighton Orient on the Saturday and and got battered for ninety minutes, but nicked a one 0 win. And both they and Bournemouth were two of our rivals for that last playoff spot. And then we had Bournemouth on the bank holiday Monday two days later and beaten two in a big bumper crowd at the cottage. Um, two late goals. Gary Brazil penalty after Julian Hales was 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 hacked down. And and then Sean Farrell with one of my favourite goals at the cottage of all time, rounded the keeper. And we used to have these fences up at the Hammersmith end on the, the, the basically crowd safety thing. And he rounded the keeper, ran up to the, climbed the fence, and stood with his arms out. Christ, you know, Christ the Redeemer pose on the, on the fences at the Hammersmith end, and it was just it's a it's a very I've got very vivid memories of that game. Um, but yeah, so Farrell and Brazil, really long answer to your very quick question there, Sam. We we won't mention what happened the next game. Yes, the the, the playoff <laughs> dream collapsed. We'll we'll say no more. In spectacular circumstances, yeah, twenty one um, minutes, four goals. <laughs> Yeah, at Brentford of all places. Yeah. Um, a final word on Saturday, just to say that it marked the club's annual celebration day. Um, I believe it was the third time they've run it. And it gives us a chance to acknowledge those supporters that we've lost during the previous year with their name read out and a picture in the programme and up on the scoreboard. Uh, I did it for my dad last year and it was quite special just to be able to sort of share the cottage with him one last time. I know we're... we're quick to criticise the club for some of the stunts they pull, but I, I do think it's a really sort of lovely initiative and one that actually gives credence to the to the family club status that we seem to have. Um, yeah, of course, it would have only really been truly fitting if my dad's picture had left 10 minutes early to beat the traffic. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a nice thing to do and I hope they continue to do that. 
Yeah, agreed. Right. Now it's return of our focus favourite feature, where we ask supporters for their golden Fulham moments, concerned with a different theme each week. After Rodrigo Muniz's unexpected double on Saturday, we wanted to hear your favourite memories of a Fulham player netting twice in a single game. Don, what have you got for me? I'm glad you went with me first because uh, my memory is not like Tristan's and yours and Baldo and even Dan, you know, uh, that you guys just seem to be able to recall every minute of your life. Uh, I, I, I don't remember all of that stuff. I know general things. So for me, it would be back when, you know, Brian McBride, my, my favorite player, I went back to that 2005-2006 uh, season and he got uh, two goals against Bolton. Uh, in one of the main games uh, for that season. But, you know, the real thing that stuck out to me when I was looking back at that season that uh, I recalled once I saw it, we beat Manchester City twice that season, 2005-2006. And in both those games, Steed Malblanc was the, the scorer. And in the one at home, he scored two, the two goals that allowed us to beat City. So, I thought that was pretty cool because, you know, there aren't many times in a season where we beat City once, but twice. So hats off to Steve Marblanc. Yeah, I mean, without going all Ali McCoist, what a player he was, by the way. Um, one, of, one of the best to wear a Fulham shirt. My, my, yeah, my, my favourite of all time, actually, Steve. He, he, he'd always get in my team. Your, your second favourite. So we're gonna, let's hear from Tristan then. Go on, which Gary Brazil brace have you picked out for us? Uh, well, there was a few that I could have chosen there. Go, oh, well, the Gary Brazil... The, 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 you probably won't see a better brace than his, his pair at Bolton. Do you remember that? The 3-0 when Andy Cole scored as well. But one, one with his right, one with his left, both outside the box. But um, no, I haven't gone with Gary. Um, Boa came very close with his his two in 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 a game that I loved in the Tagana season, the three one at Watford, um, where it was the it was the clash of the the two that were at the top at the time, and Boa scored two as we 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 ran them ragged in the second half. But that one just loses out to 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 two that I always felt. The second of the two was was just a a huge huge indication of, of 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 a player who just totally transformed how he was seen by the fans and and you know we, we all remember Mickey Conroy's first season at the club bonkers to think you know he got 15 goals that season but was pretty much hated by the fans to the point where at one point he got a yellow card and the home fans our own fans were chanting for him to be sent off in in a game against Cambridge and you know, he, re- he really wasn't popular in that first season. And then that second season, the promotion season under Adams and everything just clicked. And there was a game, he was on a run of games where he just scored every game. And, and, and there was a game against Cambridge. And again, it was a top of the table clash. I think that was that night we went top for the first time. And um, he, he scored, the first was a penalty. Uh, so, sorry, the first was a, was a, was a um, header, wasn't it? A, a rebound off the bar and, and he got the header. Blake got the penalty. So. But this, the, his second goal where he wasn't the fastest, Mickey, but he, he nicked the ball off the defender on the halfway line and just ran it for half the pitch, edge of the box, and then thumped it into the top corner. And it was such an un-Conroy-like goal. He was, he was a bit of a fox in the box, very good in the air. But just the pure confidence that was racing through him, and 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 how much he'd suddenly become super Mickey Conroy, 
and and that game just encapsulated it for me, and 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 he never really looked back after that, and and so I'll always have very very fond memories. So I'm I'm going to go for that one with the the the, the brace. I mean, that is one of my favourite ever Fulham goals. Uh, I like the fact because he, he pretty much a run half the length of the field, and mm. during the celebration, it just became apparent how knackered he was. <laughs> he just kind of lay out on the floor. Uh, yeah, no, great, great memories. Oh, uh, who made their debut that night at 16 years age? Of age? Sean, Sean Davis. Sean Davis, yeah. Oh, can't, can't beat you. Um, yeah, it's nice. I was thinking about this today because obviously when a player scores a hat-trick, they get the glory. But I think scoring two, two in a game of football can be quite a special thing. And there are certain factors that make the most memorable instances of this so glorious. So you have the surprise element when a player who you wouldn't normally expect to get one Instead, somehow next to and such as Chris Baird away at Stoke or or Breed Hangeland at, at Birmingham. Then you had the doubles when one of the goals was like an absolute scorcher. Um, Diamante Camera and the the three two comeback at Man City in the Great Escape season, or even Rodney Marsh in the four one against Hereford, the the Marsh and Best uh, Harlem Globetrotters uh, moment. Um, and then you have those braces that are scored on really big occasions, like Zoltan Guerra against Juventus, um, Viv Busby against Everton in the 75 Cup run. And for me, there's one double that is all three of those things and more, and that, that is Joe Bryan scoring twice against Brentford at Wembley in the Championship playoff final. Uh, I think very hard to, to ever beat that. But... We've had lots of lots of suggestions on social media today. Um, Stuart recalled Bobby Zamora netting two in three minutes in the snow in Basel during our yeah. epic Europa League adventure. Um, Vartan weighs in with Robert Wilson against Carlisle during the 83 promotion push. Carol suggests Dirk Lehman's double against Man City under the Friday night lights at the cottage. See, Man City were beaten all the time back then, Don. Uh, David chips in with the time. Uh, Fulham focuses very own Collins John scored twice at Leicester. Uh, and David said that he started a Collins John chant in the stands. It was his first and last ever chant that he started. So old school suggestions. Mickey Adams penalties in the mud at Ashford. I've spoken about those before. Mm. Rob Scott in the rain at Bristol Rovers. I think my coat's still drying out from that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, not forgetting Paul Moody at Brentford. Jeff Horsfield at Luton as we rose up through the divisions. But I think perhaps my favourite suggestion today, my favourite double comes from Darren Brown, who fondly remembers Stan Brown's two goals in a 5-2 win against Blackburn at the Cottage in August 1965. Stan, of course, was Darren's dad. Oh, yeah, that's a nice one, isn't it? Very, very nice to be able to quote that. Yeah, there's some really good ones in there. I think the... Um... The Brian one is a is is what I I did think of that and I thought no there's going to be other people that go for that so I'll go a little bit more obscure, um, but yeah no some 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 really good ones in there. Okay, moving on to two other Fulham players that were in action at the weekend, more than four thousand miles away from Craven Cottage, with Alex Awobi and Calvin Bassey representing Nigeria in the final of the African Cup of Nations against Ivory Coast. Uh, in fact, that there was plenty of Fulham representation in the final, uh, with former Lonies Ola Aina and Anamola Lukman, teammates of Awobi and Bassi for Nigeria, while Seko Forfana and one Jean-Michel Seri were in the Ivorian midfield. 
And in fact, there was more than your glimpse of some of that joyful Seri magic as he, as he pulled the strings at the heart of everything good that the Ivory Coast did. Uh, plus the score of the opening goal was uh, defender William Troost Econ, who was on Fulham's books until the age of 16. Um, now, I know neither of you saw the final, but how how is defeat in such a sort of major international final likely to affect Bassi and Awobi on their return to club football? Um, I, I would think, you know, that they're definitely professionals. So, you know, I'm sure that they're, they're, they're crushed, uh, but I, I think they'll come back and, you know, be 100% ready to go uh, and, you know, be looking to get slotted, hopefully straight back in the squad. And uh, it's one of those things you really didn't want them to do that well because you wanted to get them back to the cottage ASAP. But then once they started getting to the point where they were at the quarterfinals and the semifinal and everything, you're like, well, go for it. You, you guys got to win. You're, you're cheering for them. So, Yeah, I saw a couple of people even suggested that they hope they lost the semifinal failing to realise that there was a third-place playoff anyway. So they'd be out for pretty much the same amount of time. Uh, Tristan, do you think they'll go straight? Can you see them back in the side straight away at the weekend? It won't be, probably, yeah. <laughs> um, it won't be, probably would go in. I'm not sure about Bassey. I, I, uh, that'll probably depend on other players' fitness, toes in, etc. But, um, I mean, I like Bassey. I, 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 I'd put him in. Personally, and I don't think it should really make that much. It should affect them negatively that much. I would imagine they're probably more of the mindset that they want to get playing and 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 you know get it under their belt now and and and, and crack on with actually winning some games. Uh, I you know obviously they're going to be disappointed, but I would hope it's not going to be a, a a massive mental issue. Um, for, for them confidence-wise. The question to ask then is how much have we missed them over the past month? Yeah, and loads. And, and I think in that case, as a follow-up question, did we make a mistake when our squad is so small and our squad is so old in investing in players that were certain to be away for, what, it was seven weeks of the season? No, I'm, I'm happy with both signings. I think the mistake is not bringing in enough other players. I think it's, it's, I think it's really simple. I think we... We we haven't managed the squad in terms of the, the the numbers in it and the the numbers that are able to contribute, um, and I think we really suffered from that in in a very very busy January. And um, it, yes, it's unfortunate that we we lost those two for Afcon, but I don't think it was a mistake bringing them in. I think the mistake was not bringing others in as well. I would agree. You know, that, that, that is the problem is it's, it's not the, a problem that we have players that are uh, of African uh, descent and playing for African uh, countries and off, go off to AFCON. It's more about just not having the depth. And, and it's not just depth. It's the proper depth. It's having players that can slot into those positions and do the job that needs to be done and not just saying, okay, well, we need a, a right back. Who do we got? Oh, geez, no one. Well, Len, let's go get Bobby. He's our Swiss Army knife. We'll just throw him back there. We need to get away from that. Even though Bobby does a good job, we got to get away from that. But, but and, I, I mean, that, that that position particularly, I think is a, you know, a kind of case in point where I, I just don't know that we've been very clever with how we've built the squad and where we've spent the money because... You know, at the end of last season, everyone was universally agreed and pretty much, you know, sports press was agreed that Tete is probably a top five, top six 
right back in the Premier League in terms, you know, there's, there's probably not more than five or six better than him in the whole Premier League. So to go out, if we if we did have limited funds, to go out and spend twenty million on <laughs> on another right back when we had a really good, yeah, we needed cover at right back and we needed another right back in, but to spend that amount of money on a first choice right back. When we've got massive holes in the rest of the squad depth wise, I'm not, I, and that's where I think we've I, actually. I'd say it was more of a, the Castanias, and I like Castanias. I think he's been good for us, but I'd say his signing was probably more of a mistake of Batsiori Wobi, to be honest. Just, just in pure finances. I like him. I think he's yeah, done like, a good I, job I, back there. If, if, if we and he's saying, been vital because of, of Tosa, or I mean Tete getting hurt all the time and whatnot. So yeah, it's, you're right. It's, we we I wish we could have spread that money out and done a better job of yeah. bringing players in to help uh, with the squad. But I do think he he was a pretty good purchase. It's, it's not my, my my point's not a criticism of of Castagna. I, I understand. I understand. And if we had if we had unlimited funds, then great. But to spend twenty million on uh, a right back when we already had a very good right back is it, it, it just felt at the time and has continued to feel a bit and unless unless we knew there was going to be a consistent problem fitness and injury wise with Tete and then I think it makes more sense but it, it, yeah I, I I think we're, we're we're very light in the squad and 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 we need to be clever with how we utilize funds we can't we're, we're not at a position now where we can afford to go out and spend even 10 million, but 10 million plus on players that don't markedly improve the the, the, the team. The good news is we won't be list, uh, losing the likes of Bassi and Awobi to AFCON in 2025 because the Premier League have finally got their way and inflicted a Northern Hemisphere schedule on uh, Africa, meaning that it will be played during the summer months. Uh, so, just like Don's streaming services, it was capitalism all along. So, a disappointing end to AFCON for our boys, but it did have a fairy tale ending for Sebastian Haller. The Borussia Dortmund striker scored the winning goal for Ivory Coast a year on from his return to football after overcoming testicular cancer. Uh, which brings us neatly onto our next topic, because if the Athletic is to be believed, uh, he was a player that we approached the day before deadline day and were given the green light by Dortmund to speak to. But Haller himself didn't want to enter into frantic negotiations while he was focused on the African Cup of Nations. We've spoken about the ownership at Fulham a lot of late, but I don't think it's a bad idea to revisit the conversation, especially with new voices on the podcast. So what do we make of the work that's currently being done and the decisions currently being made by Shahid Khan, Tony Khan, and Alistair McIntosh. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I think Tristan will be able to speak better to this, but my thoughts are we don't fully know what's going on behind the scenes. We, we don't know where the money is or how much we have or what the possibilities of. What we do, and this is historical, is last-minute business, and that just never really pans out for us. Yeah, we we get a few here and there that have paid off and done really well, but for the most part, it's a scattergun effect at the last day of us almost panicking and just reaching for anything and everything. Um, So I I wish that would stop. So, you know, for those who say, I want the cons gone, 
uh, watch what you wish for because you may not get a billionaire that is willing to spend the money uh, or you'll get a billionaire in that doesn't give a shit about the fans at all, worse than the cons and could take it a completely different direction. So I, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for the fans on how to get the cons back to the table and be loved or liked, you know, the way I, I think they used to be. I think that's fallen to the wayside. I know Tristan will speak more to that because, you know, ticket prices and stuff like that and the match day experiences, uh, what what can the cons do to help out and, and change things, Tristan? I, th- I think the ticket prices is a is is a is a different kettle of fish. Um, I mean, I've I've got to be honest. I think if if you take all the emotion out of it and the fact we're Fulham fans and all the rest of it, and you look at it, what we're seeing to me suggests they would be quite happy to sell I, I i think that's kind of the impression i get where um you, you you know not overly spending in the in the squad we're doing enough to keep us in the premier league um they're maximizing revenue streams let's call it that rather than you know ripping the fans off <laughs> but it's it amounts to the same thing and I, and i think you know that's fair enough. Look, uh, they're, they're, the the one thing you can't criticise them for is is putting money in. He's lost over. We've I've, I've said this many times. He's lost over half a billion on the club. It hasn't panned out probably how he expected it. My sympathy is muted in 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 that because I think a lot of what is lost has been because of really bad operational decisions, especially in the first few years. Um, if you look at the revenue we've lost just from not being in the Premier League, that would account for the six hundred million that he's he's down. So, uh, you know, I, I could understand if he did want to sell. Um, that that would be logical. And and as I say, I think from a, if I if I was looking as a qualified accountant and I was looking at how the business is being lined up at the moment with that maximising of revenue and keeping costs to a relative minimum, it, it, it does suggest that could be possible. It, it, in terms of, you know, money and, and, and what we're spending and all the rest of it, transfer windows, I, I think it, it, Don's right. I mean, we I think we'll get more of an indication and I'd like to kind of talk a bit more about it once the, the next published accounts are done in probably four to six weeks, we'll, we'll see them published. And I think we'll get a much bigger piece of the jigsaw then. Um, but what I would say, and I keep seeing various things, a lot of them are complete fucking nonsense. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say that. Sam, you've you've stitched me right up asking me. <laughs> you knew I was gonna go off on a rant uh, about revenue and when it comes in. Right. Firstly, one of the things that I've seen repeated about 20 times by various different people, which is absolute nonsense, is that the Mitrovic money is not in this year. It will be in this year. It will not be delayed till next year. You do not delay revenue from transfers into future periods. You're not allowed to do that. So the Mitrovic money for his transfer, minus any remaining amortisation, which back of fag packet is probably about seven million, will all be in this financial year. What that means is that there's there's two possibilities. 
when Marco Silva has continuously said that we planned to have this season with Alex Mitrovic playing, he's either lying and we didn't and we needed that 42 million to pass FFP or we haven't spent that 42 million and we could have spent in January and we could have spent last summer. They're, 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 the, they're the two options because he's he's saying on the one hand, we didn't intend to sell Mitrovic, but now we're hearing in January, we can't spend because we haven't got FFP. So which, which one of it is it? Did we need to sell him to pass FFP? In which case, fine, not a problem. That's what we needed to do. But if we didn't need to sell him to pass FFP, then that money hasn't been spent. And just before people look at it and go, oh, yeah, but we did sell, oh, sorry, Signy, Wobi, Bassi, etc. We did, but their fees are amortised. So we spent £60 million on transfers on average £4 million contracts. That means there's £15 million gone into this financial year, offset by that £42 million that we, we, we've got the net book value of Mitrovic. So we should have some money to have spent on transfers. The fact that we didn't, I would suggest is probably more because we didn't want to for whatever reason rather than we couldn't that that's that's my view i could be wrong and i'll i'll hold my hands up and don's don don's as he's absolutely right we need to wait until we've at least got that next part of the jigsaw puzzle with the 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 the, the, year, the accounts for last year coming out in in march and once we've got that i think it gives us a bit more of an indication but my gut feeling having audited football accounts, having, you know, 25 years of accounting experience, is that we're probably not spending because the owners are not wanting to overload us with loads more future amortisation again, a la what we did in 1819, which then hindered us for another four or five years. So I, I think we probably could have spent in, in January. I think the Brozier potential fee that we've got with him indicates that we could have done again if you look at that as an that that if we spend four million on that loan that is all in year if you sign a player and amortize his fee in january it's only half a year as well on a four-year contract that's equivalent to signing someone for 32 million pounds we could have signed someone for 32 million pounds in january and had the same in-year cost as a four million pound costing loan so the fact that we've loaned some with a potential fee of four million to me suggests that we've got a bit of money there to spend if we needed to. Well, with with all this, all these teams being punished right now, it's opened up a can of worms. I'm sure you guys saw that uh, Leeds and I forget the other one now they got uh, relegated last season are going to sue if Everton and Forest get uh, points because that would have meant points deduction that would have meant they'd been uh, relegated and Leeds and them would have stayed up so they're right. going to sue say we lost money but but again from an accounting law that's noise mate that won't they, they won't get anything from suing because those though at the time when that happened the rules were in place that if Everton failed they'd get a points deduction in the next period they can't they they can't now go back and sue and say oh well we want compensation because they should have been punished the year before they were the rules at the time so i'm just it, saying it's, it's it's opening a can of worms that yeah I of think course of course it is it's unnecessary and, and I think, so i think ultimately ffp is going to fall apart at some point because there's going to be so many legal challenges to it but 
at and the I moment. That would it make doesn't... people like Sam extremely happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I genuinely don't care. Um, <laughs> thank you, Tristan, for that that very insightful look into uh, the world of football accounting. Uh, in the wider world of football this week, it was announced that IFAB, the International Football Association Board, who set the rules of the game, are intending to trial blue cards and 10-minute sim bins for players committing cynical fouls and acts of dissent. Um, Don, am I being unfair here by suggesting that this seems quite an American concept? It, it definitely you have it is. In ice hockey, right? It's, oh, yeah, that's uh, definitely would it, is, would it work uh, in football? Uh, aren't they try they tried it in the lower leagues i read and it's kind of floundered or you know i don't, I don't know my, my thing is this you know in our chat uh luke uh, sergeant brought up a, a very important thing we're talking about fouls that are kind of considered cynical or professional you know kind of things uh and and the game is what it is because of cynical fouls i mean it's a deep in rooted part of the game. So if you remove those kind of fouls and that kind of play from the game, you're taking away from the purity of the game, the, the way the game is meant to be played or is played. So uh, it, it's like hockey, you know, this, you're going to send a guy over to sit in some little cornered off uh, area to be punished for the cynical foul that he just committed. And worse than that, you, if he's out, so I guess what they're saying for 10 minutes, if I understand correctly, couldn't you run into the potential that multiple players are committing a foul of that nature and get a stupid blue card and then have multiple players out at the same time? So let's say, you know, Bobby commits one and then somebody else commits one and we're down two people. We could be playing with nine, eight, who knows how many players against a, a full strength 11. So does beg the questions, how many seats are they going to be in the sin bin? Uh, and and will will teams have their own sim bins, or well, will they be forced to share them? Thank goodness we just redid the Riverside because we may need all those seats. Uh. <laughs> uh, I thought Ange Postecoglou spoke very well on this subject at the weekend when he said it would destroy football uh, by increasing time wasting and adding even more clutter to the game. Is that something you'd agree with, Tristan? I yeah, I mean, I thought he he he, he was spot on. I don't think just because of that. I think there's all, there's just all sorts of pitfalls with it, right? I think. You, you, you're going to have the same issues. It's just bringing in another thing that is going to be open to interpretation. So one referee is going to give such and such a blue card for calling him a wanker, whereas this referee is going to send him off. And then, you, you, you do you know what I mean? It's, you got, so you're going to have that same problem that you've got with other things. And all these offences that are talking about shoving in there for this blue card, they're all already punishable. By you know, so what? So why are we creating another punishment? Like if the the, the problem with this is, is they're not uphold. They still need to go back to the basics with dissent, for example, where they set it in stone. It's only the captains allowed to speak to the referee, and if anyone else shouts or swears or surrounds the referee, they are booked. And they but they need to actually have the bollocks. To carry on, it's, it's exactly the same. Like I've always said about holding from co- at corners, dragging someone shut. Start giving a penalty every fucking time. Start giving a penalty, and I tell you what, it will stop happening <laughs> because sides won't want to concede thirty penalties a game. And it's the same with all this dissent. They don't need a blue card. I think that is the the key thing there that you're saying, though, Tristan. The key thing is consistency. Okay. Yeah. Don't don't 
muddle around, don't fuck around with the damn rules and make it to where uh, it's interpreted by each person differently. Make it, okay, if this happens, this is what we do. Done. And that way there's no you know, questions asked. Nobody can argue about it. Yeah. I enjoyed how you went into a really nerdy voice there when you started talking about referees. Even nerdier than the accounting chat. Uh, mind you, I saw it. Uh, it was revealed either today or yesterday that um, goalkeepers would not be immune from the sin bin sanctions. So teams could be forced to make a choice between playing an outfielder in goal for 10 minutes or having to make a substitution. And let's face it, that would be amazing. That's the kind of shit I go for. That that would be comical. But that I I actually think they should go. Did, did you ever hear of the? I can't remember what it was called. There was a chi, There's a Chinese version of football where all the players rotate positions. It's a bit like volley. You know how they do in volleyball where they ro- you rotate around the court, but you do that in football. So all the players rotate positions. So every outfield player ends up in goal for like ten minutes. So we should just do something <laughs> like that. It's absolute fucking carnage, Sam. Right, let's move on to our preview of Aston Villa at home on Saturday. Um, Yeah, another home match. Uh, When we were comfortably beaten at Villa Park back in November, Unai Emery's team were beginning to be talked about as outsiders in the title race. But now they're struggling to stay in uh, in top four contention with just one win in the last six and three defeats in their last four. What do we think ahead of this one, chaps? What changes would you consider, if any? Are there any changes you expect? Again, uh, with our squad being the way it is, the only real changes I could see is, do you have Reem or do you have Bassey? Um, you know, wh- which one are you going to put in there? Uh, I know a lot of people would probably prefer Bassey, you know, younger, blah, blah, blah. And then the only other change is, you know, do you put Iwobi right in? You know, uh, get him playing and have him as a, a hopefully an instant impact player. But the squad being the way it is, the choices that Marco has from the bench, uh, I think the game starting 11 pretty much stay the way it is, you know, with the exception of those two changes. Um, I would let Muniz start again just because I think he deserves it after scoring those two goals. Other than that, uh, what real changes can you make? Uh, you swap Bobby for Harry or something like that, you know, but. I don't really see any other tactic or, or thing that you can change. And as far as tactics, I know Villa are very they, – they can be a very strong uh, team to play right now. They, they, they're no joke. You know, they're, they're not where they are without being a strong team. This I still don't think, you know, we change tactics dramatically. You know, what, maybe go with five in the back and defend a little more? I, I, I don't put them on the same level as City in that, so I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. I, I'd rather go for it. Play the ball, go for it, Tristan. Um, I'd have, I'd probably have Iwobi in for Reed, but that'd be it. And you know, I'd, yeah, no, I agree. I don't, I wouldn't change that much. I think it's interesting. You look at the home and away guides. So, you know, we're eighth in the league in the the home table, pretty respectable. Villa are sixth in the away. They're better at home, but they still do okay away. So, I, I think on paper, a draw feels and looks about right and I think I, I think most of us would probably take a draw at this point I think that we're at that point now where we're we're realistically four or five points away from enough points that definitely keep us up so a point in a game against us you obviously want to win your home games but a point in a game against Villa's probably probably would probably do us and I think I, I haven't checked the odds but I would imagine that's probably the bookies favourite if if not slight villa favourites but yeah I'd I'd 
I'd, I'd be happy with a draw. I'm going to go two all. Is my prediction. We've actually got quite a good home record against them. We've won five of the last six league games against them at the Cottage. Um, and perhaps, I mean, a misfortune for Villa, but it's confirmed today that uh, Bubakar Kamara has done his ACL. So he'll be out for the season. That's Villa's third ACL injury this season. Um, obviously, Bournemouth were missing Philip Billing at the weekend, and now Villa will be missing Kamara alongside David Louise. So, uh, Douglas Louise, sorry. Uh, so perhaps we could. Well, Louise, Louise is a big there. miss. It was. It was actually. I was at the game at Villa Park, and Bloody McGinn. I mean, he had. Not many have done it, but he had Polina all over the place in that game. Polina had a bit of one of his worst games for us, and 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 he didn't seem to be able to really get near McGinn. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but can't get he, around his ass. Based based on the the game up there, he'd be the one that I was would, would be most worried about actually. The, you know, the, uh, when you say, you know, somebody has their pocket, but or somebody, a player has another player in their pocket, that, I do think that's the, one of the key things we really need right now is, I say this a lot, we need Anthony to be Anthony and put, what, what's the guy for Villa going to be coming down that side? He's got to have him in his pocket. Just stop Leon it. Leon Bailey. Yeah, just stop it dead. Yeah. Um, just don't let that happen. And the other thing I really uh, harp on a lot is, come out strong, come out fast. I think we just do better when we come out strong and we, we come out fast. When we just come out lethargic, sit back and absorb kind of crap, we, we just we don't have a good record of, of doing well. And then the third thing that I, I really hope to see different if, uh, of things that we want to see different from this game is somehow, and I don't know how, you know, uh, maybe we bring Basse on if Reem starts or Reem comes on later, uh, shore things up. If we're ahead, Shore some things up and stay strong. Don't don't just let the pressure keep coming at you, coming at you, coming at you, and then you know we end up losing a goal back or end up tying or whatever. You know I want to stay strong throughout the game. That's one of the big changes. You'd rather just lose three 0 wouldn't you, from the start than have it cruelly stolen at the end? Uh, yeah, I, I, Burnley was such a heartbreak. I, I I kind of in an ideal world I kind of agree with you, but I think this is this is then where you piece all the conversations we've had tonight together, and you say, well, yes, you want us to start strong, you want us to start with that high press, high intensity, but we've got a team of geriatrics, and if you do that, fifty five minutes into the game, they're all fucked, and that is why opposition teams come on strong against us because our legs have started to go. And yes, I, I, again, I think we can make changes. But the problem is, is that if you've been going that high intensity for 40, 45 minutes, and that's the, the kind of intensity the game's being played at, and the opposition have stepped it up because they can see you're, you're just falling off it a bit, it's very well, that, difficult. That, there you have it. Once again, Tristan and his freaking logical nature... <laughs> Just summed everything up in our pod. We we, we can. Put, I'm going to cut everything out. We're just going to have this little three minute section right here. Perhaps if we could combine the sin bins for some of the older players, so they get a ten minute rest during the yeah, game. Mate, that's a fucking like, great good, idea. Good, good, there good you go. go for the, get a bed yeah. in there. Just get. There'll, there'll, there'll <laughs> be a there'll be a baseball or like a football signal that uh, Silva will will give to yeah, Tim yeah, Ream yeah. Or, or Tom real quick. He'll he'll. Tip his hat or something that signals to them. Okay, guys, go do, go get a sin bin and, and come rest. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that. Oh, uh, Don, give me a score prediction then. One one. 
I think I was going to go for one-one as well. So there we go, free draws. Oh, free, yeah, free draws. One-one. We'll see how we get. Fingers on. crossed. So I think that's a good place to end this Fulham Focus episode. Uh, thanks to Don and thanks to Tristan for joining me, and thank you to you, the listeners, for joining us on this roller coaster. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. You can even follow us through that dark subway on Putney Bridge. If you've liked us, tell your friends all about it. If you're not so keen, just confuse us with one of the other Fulham podcasts out there. Thanks for listening. It's time to let the Moonies play on. Fulham.